0: Hey everybody, Charlie and Reed here. Um, this portion of the Quacked Out podcast is being added on Friday afternoon. Um, we just got word that Tim DeReuter is the new defensive coordinator for Oregon. Um, this was not information we had last night when we recorded the rest of the show, so just keep that in mind when you're listening. And um, well, I think it's safe to say um, for people who may have or as you'll see later in the episode, uh, DeRoyter might not be our absolute first choice uh, from our perspective, but he's certainly a good one. So what do you think of this hire, Reid?
1: Yeah, I think, like you said, um, you know, a little later in the episode, you'll hear us kind of talk about uh, Tosh Lupoy, who was another primary candidate. And I think there's a lot of excitement around him when we were recording yesterday and, um, but ultimately, I, I understand where we went with this hire with De Reuter. I think that it's, um, you know, it's been characterized by some as a safe choice. And I understand that because I think we know he absolutely can get the job done schematically. Um, I think that, you know, he will be, he could be an upgrade from Avalos potentially from what we saw this year. At least mm-hmm. he'll probably, our defense will be improved Um you know, given that he'll have advantages of a full offseason again and all that. Um, so I'm, I'm optimistic about that. I think, you know, it's not going to be the home run higher on the recruiting trail necessarily. And that was a big point of difference between Tosh and DeReuter. But ultimately, I think Chris Wall opted to go with a schematic coach and kind of take responsibility for the recruiting front of this operation on his own. yeah mm-hmm. um, And that's, that's important. Like we, you know, I think that if we're trying to get to a championship level as a program and, and start reaching playoffs consistently, you know, we're going to have to have good scheme obviously, but we're also going to need to have a roster that's, um, you know, towards the middle or uh, upper half of the top 10 Mm -hmm. in the country talent wise. Right. Mm -hmm. And, Oregon has only ever really sat um, in like the 10 to 15 range. Um, So I think, you know, that's what we have to start pushing upwards. And the 2021 class we just are signing um, puts us on that track, but we're going to have to keep replicating that. And like I said, like I will say later in the episode, I knew if we brought in Tosh, we were going to bring in classes that were in that seven to four or three or whatever range mm-hmm. but and that's that, not to
0: say we can't without him
1: right exactly I, I i'm not sure what the ceiling is really on recruiting because you know Cristobal keeps improving each year and i also don't think de reuter is going to be a liability on the trail um it's just that you know we genuinely feel tosh was a top five recruiter in the country by all accounts mm-hmm. and so you know de reuter is certainly not that Um, but, you know, I don't think Avalos was a great hire or was a great, um, recruiter either necessarily. So I don't think we'll see a dip. Um, but it also, you know, kind of, we have to level some of that excitement. Like we'll go, I mean, we kind of were going off on a whole thing about like, you know, Tosh fantasies, like a lot of fans were and. Mm -hmm. Like the Henry Toto transfer from Tennessee. And does this put us in like better position for JTT if we land Tosh? All these, you know, kind of things that could happen. Some of those have to be leveled. Uh, Those expectations have to be kind of leveled a little bit now uh, with this hire. But we also get to say, you know, we have Moorhead for next year. Now we bring in a DC that has improved defenses in his first year, basically everywhere he's gone. So next year now starts to look like a little more of a a win now type of year to me uh, Mm -hmm. with this hire, Um, or at least, you know, not necessarily like playoff or bust, but this team can, this team should be expected to win the conference um, and that sort of thing.
0: And I think it's worth noting that, I mean when looking back at De Reuter's career and especially this is in regards to the recruiting point, he hasn't, I mean, he was at A&M for a couple years, but other than that, this is the highest profile program he's ever been at. And I mean, some would argue that this is even more so than A&M. So, I mean, he's, he's a decent recruiter in his own right. I mean, he's not like, he's not terrible. Um, and like you said, I mean, there are ways to, to deal with recruiting outside of just having a ringer at D.C. For, to recruit everybody. But, I mean, so for people who are a little unfamiliar, let's just go back in, at his career a little bit. He started out as an assistant at Air Force in like the 90s and all, you know, he did the classic thing, worked his way up. He's been around football for over 30 years now. Um, Ohio, Navy, Nevada, Air Force, A&M. And then he was head coach at Fresno State, um, didn't have a great overall record, but he was the head coach during that 11-2 and two season a few years ago. Um, and then he went to Cal, and he's been there ever since as the DC, um, also been mainly a linebackers coach, and he's also been associate head coach, um, so he's been very involved with Wilcox, um, just kind of overall at Cal. And you mentioned this a little bit. Cal's defense is really one of the best in the Pac-12 at this point, um, over the last few years, and that that's totally been DeRoyer's doing. I mean, Duck fans will remember Big Evan Weaver, at linebacker. I mean, he's the guy who developed Weaver and made him into a stud. So, right. and he's he's also sent three more um, Cal linebackers to the NFL. So he's yeah, totally yeah, experienced, he's totally guys. equipped. Go
1: ahead. None of those guys have the upside of a of a Noah Sewell or a Justin. Yes, well, exactly. Obviously. Yeah, this is so. my
0: point: is that like he's never had the talent that Oregon already has, um, and there's no reason we can't go and get more of those guys. So, I'm I think this is a great hire. Defense will look a little bit different, but we can get into that in a little second. Um, but overall, I think we're well equipped to run the type of defense he usually runs, and it seems more like a guy that. Won't necessarily be as like, won't be as sought after. Won't be chased by other suitors as much as a guy like Tosh, who's really like a, um, you know, a Big Bang signing. Like he's a yeah, he's a big name in the game, um, especially because of that recruiting piece. But yeah, so I think this is a great hire and it seems like Cristobal went with sort of the the safer choice out of the two between De Reuter and Lupoy, the two, like, main candidates. So uh, I think it's great. And, I mean, I'm excited to see what he can do.
1: Yeah, I think um, for me, uh, I think, you know, at, at times yesterday and in recent days, I've kind of been leaning towards that splash of Lupoi. Um But it is, you know... Cristobal has earned our trust, certainly, in his ability to make staff hires. Mm-hmm. He really has hit consistently on pretty much every hire he's made. So I I do, you know, trust him. And I think while I was really excited about, you know, some of the recruiting aspects of Atosh coming in, I think um, it also, there is a little bit of a sigh of relief. Like, with DeRuiter, I don't think we're going to have, you know, as many, like, Oregon State moments from last year type mm-hmm. of thing where it's just like, what is this defense doing? Because there was a worry that, you know, even with all the talent like Tosh could have those moments where he just is not capable of calling a defense at this level right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think that's good. And I think, I mean, that is kind of Oregon's thing, is you know I don't I don't want us to become USC where we're all flash and no, no substance, really. yeah <laughs> yeah. Um, I think you know we've we've shown up to those battles and beaten USC and beaten Washington under Chris before because you know we're really about it when it comes down to it and we make the plays. Um, and so I worry that. Yeah, there there wouldn't be that substance there with Tosh from a you know a coaching perspective, and so not having to take on that risk is good. Um, but also, I think everyone in this fan base is, um, you know, interested in like, can we win a national title? That mm-hmm. seems like the goal, and we understand it's a lofty goal, but that's like we've been there twice in this decade. Um, and so we feel like, you know, we we can do that. That's a tough thing to do, but it's not, you know, out of the realm of possibility. And so it certainly feels like you're going to have to take some risks in order to get those, get to that spot. You're going to have to make some hires that really hit. Um, but, but maybe this is that, and you know, like you said, there, there are different ways to increase your recruiting profile. Like you can have a Tosh. Who comes in and does it, um, you know, on his own? Or if you have a derouter who might not do it directly, if he wins you games that give Cristobal more ammunition on the trail, if he if his scheme helps you make a playoff, then that is going to elevate your recruiting profile as well. Mm-hmm. And um,
0: speaking of recruiting, I mean, the Ducks have also. Uh, this isn't as big news by any means, but Don Johnson Jr. was just promoted um to people who are super in tune with the program um he's now the director of player personnel he was director of high school relations before that which is kind of a lower level job Um, but basically replacing thomas aarons who left the program so i mean he's done great work in that other role so now that he's
1: making more calls yeah he's only good i like don johnson a lot definitely and he's around um the Portland high school football scene, he was at Madison and then he was at Jefferson. Mm-hmm. Um, so he has a lot of connections in the state and has done great in his time at Oregon. So I think that's a great hire too.
0: Yeah. And so last thing on Dereuter, I mean, he's not just a guy who's gone through the motions in these different positions. I mean, he's, he's been like hired and promoted at places for a reason. I mean, Cal's defense was one of the worst in the country. Like, this also applies to texas a&m before he went there one of the worst in the country and by the time he got there and had even just a year um with guys that he didn't even recruit top 20 30 nationally i mean that's a huge jump i mean think about the think about the 2016 defense improving to like uh, not last year's but almost as good as last year's standard like that's that's the margins we're talking about here. It's a huge increase. And again, yeah. not necessarily with a ton of talent at his disposal. I mean, Oregon's defense will be the most talented he's
1: ever coached. So right.
0: I have uh, nothing bad to say about this hire.
1: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And, and reviews from him, from the people who have worked with him and everything, are, are definitely high in terms of him being a guy who really knows scheme and football. Um, and it puts us in a great position, really, at both of the coordinator spots. Um, one other thing that I think we should maybe touch on is you know, with this hire officially going down, um, I wonder how that affects the assistants at Oregon mm-hmm. and specifically, you know, Keith Hayward and Ken Wilson, two guys who were potential candidates. Uh, For this spot, we kind of talked about that a little bit later in the episode too. But I think, um, you know, there's a lot of questions about, like, how long does Keith Hayward stick around now that he's been passed over twice? And there's been some complaints on Twitter about, like, oh, do we really need to hire, um, you know, this Deruder guy? Like, can't can't we promote Keith from within? He's earned it, da-da-da-da-da. For me, I think... Um, I mean, I, I like Keith and everything, but my question is like, why did he get passed over for the job? I, I think there's a reason. Yeah. And certainly from an experience perspective, like he doesn't have close to the experience that DeRuiter does. And that plays, is something, defense.
0: yeah. And we get into that a little more, um, later on in the episode. So, yeah. um, I mean, if there's any other thoughts you got.
1: Yeah, no, I think, you know, that's just something we'll see how that shakes out in the next uh, month or two, you know, if, if any of those assistants move and we'll obviously cover that when the time comes.
0: Yeah, it's just something to keep an eye on. All right. Well, uh, about 15 minute quick intro. Um, enjoy the rest of the episode and we will see you guys soon. Hello and welcome to the Quacked Out Podcast. This is, I, again, I don't know what episode this is. I'm Charlie Folkstead, joined by my co-host Reed Tingley and producer Paul Kress. We don't have any football to talk about, but we do have a lot of things to talk about that pertain to football. Um, Least of which is Larry Scott being gone forever. Well, not forever. Let's go. He's he's almost Uh, gone. He's gotten till, like
1: june or july or something june, yeah i think um but yeah, good riddance is de- that is definitely big time uh ducks fans have been pulling for that for a while the whole conference really has and it's definitely important that we do it now because the obviously the reputation of the pac-12 has been declining um yeah. so we need someone to step in there and reaffirm our spot as a power five conference uh, because I think I mean the longer he stayed the more damage that was going to be done yeah so.
0: and I mean the main impetus for this um, well there's there's many but I think the biggest reason this is happening right now um, and I, I'm pretty sure some president can be quoted saying this but I, I don't remember who um, that the the big TV deal is coming up. Um, it's getting renewed in 2024, and they obviously want someone who maybe is a little more experienced in navigating, successfully navigating um,
1: a media landscape, especially a sports or digital media landscape. As right, because the whole Pac-12 network thing just ended up really flopped. being a disaster, especially yeah. when it ended in him like gutting the entire network due to COVID, even though he's sitting yeah. on, like, his $10 million salary or whatever.
0: Yeah. Let's, um, I mean, I we're not here to talk about who might replace him. I mean, I don't think either of us are deep enough into the industry to know anything about that. Um, but what we do know is we probably won't be hiring a former Harvard tennis player ever again as our conference sports commissioner. So
1: That's a good thing
0: that was probably the best news we've heard since like the Mario extension honestly we also got more good news um, with Jalen red coming back for his what senior year I guess super senior year what is this number five?
1: Yeah, I think this is fifth season for him which is great obviously. Um, yeah really good news I think I mean obviously there's a lot of um, excitement about, the young receiver core we brought in, but a guy like Jalen Redd, I think you have to be happy with him coming back, even if he's obviously going to eat some touches. Um, he's going to be a really good mentor, good leader, a veteran guy, one of the toughest guys in the program. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about it. I think he can definitely be a capable contributor and a steadying force still. Um, yeah.
0: And also a winner. I mean, we, we haven't seen like a ton of we we don't have a ton of guys anymore from like four years ago (laughs) i mean he's he's been here before cristobal at this point right i mean cristobal is head coach um so yeah his his perspective is invaluable really um and of course he's a good player and he knows how to win games so right very important um but the big news that, well, it's not really news, it's just ongoing news, um, surrounds, obviously, the defensive coordinator position and how we're going to get there. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. Um, but as for right now, let's, let's do a little review, just a quick one-off. We'll finally be done with the 2020 season, hopefully, uh, after this little segment. Let's just, like, sit back and kind of contextualize like what this season meant for the program. Um, I think that's a pretty good starting point. So how would you answer that kind of oversimplified question?
1: Yeah, I would say I think it was a really um, interesting year because obviously, you know, the opt-outs affected us so much. A lot of people, when we knew it was Penn A's last year and Javon was going to be back and we just won a Rose Bowl, And we had the Ohio State game still on the schedule and all that, it seemed like this is a really big win now year we're going to prove ourselves. And I think it was tough for fans to adapt to that whole expectation changing a lot once those guys opted out and we had the shortened schedule. Mm -hmm. Um, And so. You know, it, it turned into really a developmental year. And I think because of that, the way that you have to evaluate this season is based on how it sets up for us to build going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, like we weren't in a position where we needed to win this Fiesta Bowl or whatever. It was, this, it was like this vaunted senior class's last chance. That's really what it was last year with the Rose Bowl when we had Herbert and die mm-hmm. and it turned out more with all the opt outs, people playing their last season in a ducks uniform. And we wanted to capitalize on that group and get a signature win this year. Um, it, it just turned into really focused on development of the roster. And honestly, that was kind of a mixed bag. Yeah. Um, Quarterback, especially. Yeah, quarterback, especially. I mean, you go back at the start of the year. I was really optimistic when we started off the Stanford and Wazoo game. Um, I felt like this program was starting to look the part, really, mm-hmm. um, because we kind of overcame setbacks in both of those game games. Those were two of Tyler Shuck's better games, looking back on it. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe his two best games. Um, And it looked like things were clicking pretty well. Uh, The defense had two all right performances at that point. So that wasn't a worry as much. Um, But then we kind of hit. uh, So I would say that's how I look at it is I kind of look at those first two games. I was feeling good. Then there's the next stretch of two games, UCLA and Oregon State, where both were closer than we thought they should have been. Mm -hmm. And one we drop, one we win. Both, though, it felt like the teams on the field were playing, you know, we're just playing a close game. Um, And ultimately in the Oregon State game, we didn't get, uh, you know, the breaks and we were responsible for not making those breaks, really. Um, but that was a big hit, and I think that a lot of fans kind of recoiled from that and said, what is the state of this program? How are we giving up 40 points to Oregon State? What's going on with this defense? Um, yeah, and, so like,
0: we just, I mean, nothing says wake-up call quite like we just lost to the Beavers. I mean, if anything, this was the one game on our schedule where we thought we could completely check off. Um, And of course, it wasn't necessarily a wake-up call because we lost to Cal the next week, but I mean, I I think it's interesting that that game could have been, like, a a lot of us after that game sort of looked at it and were like, okay, we weren't good enough to be a playoff team anyways, but this can still be a big turning point for us in terms of like we've had a lot of problems now we can fix them move on get a couple wins at the end of the year win the pac 12 title go to a new year's six game yeah obviously it didn't play out that way even though we still kind of checked those last two boxes
1: um but yeah I, but it was yeah it was kind of that definitely shifted our focus and I think it also, that was a moment where it kind of reaffirmed any of the red flags we'd seen in those first three games, Yeah. whether it be the turnovers or, I mean, the UCLA game overall was just kind of played pretty sloppily. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a moment where after the UCLA game, we're still 3-0, and we're still ranked pretty highly at that point, and it's like okay, you know, maybe UCLA isn't that bad. We had a down game and we survived them, but this team is still a top 15 team. Mm -hmm. And that Oregon State game kind of showed like, no, okay, there are some real flaws with this team uh, that, you know, they're just not going to be capable of running the table in Pac-12 play. I mean, it...
0: (sighs) This exploration highlights two really well. One really important thing for me about two games, the two most important games of this season, um, that were on the schedule originally, didn't happen, and that was the Ohio State game, obviously, and the UW game. Now, that I mean that we have to consider that before we think of any individual performances throughout this year or even this year in general because like again on paper this seems like a pretty good result for the ducks even though we got you know smacked in the fiesta bowl whatever like Mm -hmm. it, it still felt i mean on paper it still seems like a pretty successful season i mean if you even just look at the schedule it's like wow we started with three wins then two losses then we still made a new Year's six game not bad well again this was supposed to be, like, the the first coming of the new generation of, like, talented Duck players. And, like, if we weren't going to make the playoff this year, it was going to be the load-up for next year. And we get, you know, the Buckeyes at home. Like, really, that was what all the discussion was about. Like, oh, my God, we are really actually going to play the Ohio State Buckeyes at home. And, of yeah. course, we really actually didn't. But <laughs> um, <laughs> But it just goes to show that, like, this, it's hard to realistically look at this season without mentioning games that didn't happen, um, and I mean no. I've talked about Ohio State, but the UW game especially is like, because as of right now, they're whether we like it or not, they're still like, we still have to beat them, like we still got to beat UW. You know, that's yeah. that's the game um, at this point, and it will be the same next year. I mean. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I feel like this is just a John Wilner hate podcast at this point, but you saw his predictions for next season. I mean, he's got Washington winning the North, so it's like, dude, what? <laughs> right.
2: Okay,
0: okay, sure. Like, I guess we're still trying. I guess we're still asking for UW's permission to win the the division. I guess, but um, yeah, I, I'm really interested to see how how we treat this offseason as fans, because I feel like our expectations have been tempered a little bit based on what we saw last season, especially from Shuck. And it's no longer, oh hell yeah, we get to play Ohio State at home. It's oh shit, we have to go play Ohio State in the horseshoe. The same Ohio yeah. State who did not take any sort of step back this season. Um well yeah, and, I'm, and you argue, but they still and made we, the national championship game. like Right. So yeah, it's it's not going to be can, easy.
1: We can get exposed in that game, definitely. I yeah. Mean, I mean, they literally did it did to it Clemson. Like, when they played Clemson, that game didn't even end up being particularly close. Yeah. They basically kind of squeezed the life out of them. I mean, Clemson had some chances, but, you know, it felt like, Ohio State really took control of that game versus a Clemson team that people thought was the best team in the country at different times in this season. So, mm-hmm. I mean, and again,
0: we're not Clemson.
1: Like, right, we're not.
0: We're Clemson. aspiring to be Ohio State and Clemson.
2: Right, exactly. Like,
0: that's that's our goal. We want to be there like three, four, five years from now. Yeah. We are not there right now. Depth wise, recruiting wise, just overall culture we're not well culture maybe but we're not there like
1: yeah ex- yeah we're not if we're,
0: you have good culture in the present that doesn't I mean like cool but that's good for your future implications you still have to do stuff with it so yeah
1: yeah I mean hopefully you know looking ahead that far I mean the goal for me like walking into um, oh, into the horseshoe in eight months or whatever like Is going to be, can we be in a fight in like the fourth quarter?
0: Yeah, can we cover? You know,
1: if, yeah, like, I mean, let's at least just make them sweat a little bit. Because if we don't, that hurts us a lot. That hurts the conference a lot. Um, But I think, like he said, I mean, that was also kind of the goal. Well, we thought we could win it this year, but, you know, that was also the goal this year was, yeah, was you know, let's play a competitive game with a top three program in the country, really. Uh, I, I think it, it's
0: safe to say that would have ended quite poorly for us. Although, I mean, I guess well, Ohio State got off to kind of a slow start this season, but...
1: Well, yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, obviously I think you Ohio State was better than us, um, even with, you know, our opt-outs and everything, but who who knows with a full off season? Yeah all that stuff with our opt outs. Um, and, you know, I think it could have been a close game. Um, I, I think you look at, I mean, who knows, obviously we'll get into this cause it could be the discussion again this off season, but you know, if it was a full fall, if it was a full spring camp and summer, mm-hmm. who knows if Tyler Shuck even is the starter in that mm-hmm. Ohio state game um, this year. Uh, And who knows if he will be when we go to Columbus even. Um, But so, so this season could have been so different. Um, That's what makes it tough to evaluate. And and honestly, I mean, you, you do have to just mention the programs like a Michigan or a Penn State who totally bottomed out for, you know, inexplicably this season. Yeah. Um, especially like Penn State, just like out of nowhere, people were picking them to like, you know, be a dark horse to upset Ohio State. Um, And they just absolutely bought out, could not handle like the weird COVID situation or any of that. And so if you look at like what could, what the season could have fallen into after the opt-outs and everything, the fact that we saved face and we still won the Pac-12. We won the USC game, and even though we didn't play Washington, we we at least didn't lose to Washington. You know, <laughs> so they, this they is get, true. <laughs> they don't get to say that they you know beat us and reestablished themselves as at the top of the North. Um, and we kind of get to hold on to this edge because we beat him the last two years, and we beat him in. And we won the Pac-12 title this year.
0: And, uh, I mean, like, real quick, any excuse that that can be thrown at us in terms of, like, oh, my God, you lost two games. Why aren't you playing? It's like we, we didn't get our chance to prove that we belong there. And then, yeah, right. I mean, I'm, I'm done with this topic. I already <laughs> I've already <laughs> mentioned this multiple <laughs> times on this podcast. If you lose to a team that practices in a public park You don't have my sympathy. That's all I have to say. Exactly. Um, So you mentioned it a little bit. Do you want to get into the QB battle right now? Yeah,
1: let's do it. Yeah. All right, cool. So
0: list of people is the same as of right now. Um, Anthony Brown is still with the program, I think. Um, Yes. He hasn't given any sort of public indication as to what he's going to do next year. So we're assuming... um, He'll be back at least for a spring camp. Maybe he tries it out and see what happens. Um, so I think right now we're in a pretty much the same position as last year when talking about this.
2: <laughs> yeah, Like pretty
0: much, pretty much the exact same position.
2: Mm-hmm. We
0: still don't really know what we have with Brown. He showed a lot of promise in those last few games, but, I mean, he, he wasn't without his mistakes. Um Chuck obviously still not, we're still kind of feeling out what he has. He obviously had some really good and really bad moments this season, but again, he didn't really tip his hand as to, I mean, we don't have enough tape really to tell who he is as a player. We have half a season's worth, uh, right. half a normal season's worth. So I mean, there's in my mind, there's no reason why, with a legit QB competition which I'm not really sure we had last season. There there's no reason why Brown couldn't be the starter next year. Again, I would still guess though that Chuck is the starter come day 1 against Fresno State. Um as for the rest of the depth chart, all those names are the same except for adding Ty Thompson into the mix. Yeah. Now, I I know we've been really high on Thompson, um high on Ty on this podcast <laughs> for recruiting reasons. Um, no one's seriously expecting him to come in and challenge immediately.
1: Right. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think, I mean, for me, I, I'm not one to rule it out entirely because I think he is a different level of quarterback. Um, than we've honestly seen and seen enter the program like maybe ever, especially just in terms of how polished he is Mm -hmm. already. Um, I mean, obviously we've had some great guys. We've had, you know, Mariota, we had Herbert who's turned into this great product, but um, you know, I mean, Herbert was a guy who stuck around. Eugene didn't do like the camp circuit. He had a lot of tools, but he was kind of raw coming in. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, Mariota had to have a year and kind of get into it. And he was, I mean, you know, he he was definitely a really special player as we all know, but Ty Thompson is a guy who could be a five-star quarterback who's, you know, has as much talent walking on campus as any quarterback in the country. Who's a freshman. Yeah. And we've seen freshman quarterbacks excel. I mean, Trevor (laughs) Lawrence won a Heisman uh, or I mean, won a national championship as a freshman. Yeah. Um. Jake
0: Fromm won a national. Yeah. Championship. Well,
1: almost, but wasn't yeah, I mean, or, you know, or Tua stepped in in that. Uh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So like, I I don't think it's if he's you know if he's locked in for the spring and he really gets in early and he you know takes it seriously, I don't think it's ridiculous that he could step into the job and if i don't think we should you know be hesitant to allow him to do it just because he's a freshman because it pays off in the long run if he gets that experience and you know this is what he's i think that more than any other quarterback he's groomed himself for this position you know he's gone through all those steps to like put himself in the absolute best position to be a starter Mm -hmm. day one or in year two, or, you know, as soon as possible. Um, That's been his expectation. That's like, you know, the path that he's taken. Whereas a guy like Mariota, I guess what I was trying to say earlier kind of stumbled into it a bit more, you know, he showed up on campus and obviously he had a great high school career and all that, but it wasn't the same sense of like, he stepped up, stepped on campus and was like, I'm as good as anyone here. Yeah. I, you know, know that I'm going to be a first round NFL draft pick. You yeah. know, he, he just kind of was that special and ascended to it. Um, so I think, I think Thompson's the guy to watch and I'm not going to push back if he wins the job because it'll be exciting to see him and have him get that experience. And I think a lot of people feel, rightfully so, like if Oregon is going to open up a national title window here in a year or two, Ty Thompson's probably going to be a quarterback that we want to see make a start in a playoff, you know? And if if we really feel that way about him, then developing him should be, you know, a top priority.
0: Developing Um, him, but it's i mean it's different than doing it in a you know professional league per se where you have so many games that not necessarily every game on your schedule is going to matter very much every game counts in college football like a right. lot so i mean i'm not i'm not saying by any means that we're throwing a game by putting ty thompson in there i mean i i to be honest i would trust him as from a fan perspective i would trust him on the field as much as shucker brown at this point being a day one starter, um, I I would probably say the same for Millen Butterfield and Ashford too. I mean, we just haven't like we don't we don't know <laughs> right like we we don't know anything. We're we're completely in the dark with this. Um, and
1: yeah, I mean, and, and going back to like evaluating was this a successful season? It is like one of the reasons that it obviously wasn't successful is and why fans are frustrated is we don't know anything, you know, it's, it's not like we feel like we even found out like, Oh, it was a messy year, but at least we came out of this year knowing Shuck is the QB one or Brown is the QB one or neither of them are. I still feel like one of those two or both or neither are capable of like going, uh, I don't know. Uh, like one loss through Pac-12 play. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know. I I literally don't know if it's one, both, or neither of them who can do that, and that's frustrating. Definitely, given that we had you know seven games to figure that out. Uh,
2: yeah,
0: exactly. I mean, we. This was supposed to be our like, like. Again, it's really hard because we came into this season wanting you know with these huge expectations and like oh my god we're playing ohio state and oh my god we're you know we should go back to back and be pac 12 champs again and then we get to the season and every other team in the country has already been playing for you know five weeks or whatever you got like half a schedule and then not even playing that full schedule including dropping the biggest you know remaining game of the season like in retrospect this could have just been a total rebuilding year and we kind of called it that after the Cal loss even or the Oregon State loss is just like okay whatever this is like total rebuilding year do you think Moorhead and Cristobal would have played this quarterback situation differently um had they sort of I mean magically foreseen these big bumps on the road like do do they for example we have a quarterback competition in front of our eyes during a Fiesta Bowl yes that could have been the entire season would that have helped us learn anything about this situation like again I we got Shuck as a starter the whole time and I still don't know if he's good or not
2: <laughs>
1: yeah i think i mean i do think in the end like i understand how it happened the way that it did i thought that i mean i thought Chuck should have been the starter coming into this year um and i think based on his time in the program it turned out it kind of had to be mm-hmm. he looked pretty good to start he just looked like it was regular bumps in the road um Like, I mean, like, we can't do revisionist history totally here. Like, comes into the Stanford game, he absolutely played well enough to keep his job. Washington State still, even with mistakes, led a comeback. We looked really good in that second half. Still looks the part. UCLA starts to be a little shaky, uh, but we get out with a win. Like, at that point, it's still just, like, three games into his college career. Then we lose to Oregon State, like can't move the ball late. That's a red flag. Then he looks even worse against Cal. Then yep. we don't really give him a muster of a chance against USC or Iowa State to really open it up. So, but, but I mean, I understand why they started with him and why they kept him for the time they did. But then I honestly felt like, the when brown come came in there was kind of a different energy to the team it seemed like the team picked up which was you know a little bit of an odd thing because you know a lot of guys had kind of rallied around shuck before Mm -hmm. but it just um i think for me i felt uh i felt like leaving the iowa state game and kind of um, processing that, it's I've started to become more optimistic about what an Anthony Brown-led team looks like next year, and part of the reason why I'm starting to feel like that is the best path, and maybe uh, the most likely path for me right now is is also because you know the elephant in the room is we have Joe Moorhead as offensive coordinator, and we probably only have him as offensive coordinator. For next year, maybe one other year, maybe, maybe a year after that. But, I mean, he could easily leave after next season. And it's basically going to be year to year from that. Mm -hmm. And having an offensive mind of Moorhead's caliber um, is really big. You know, he can scheme things in a way that give us a, you know, a leg up on teams. And we've seen the importance of that. I mean, just this year with Sarka at Alabama, for instance, or Joe Brady at LSU in 2019. Is Oregon going to be that level of offense? No, but with Anthony Brown, I think that we can start to actually make a run at things next year, and I think that I could see Anthony Brown doing enough to keep us in the Ohio State game. And then I think depending how the schedule shakes out with the conference layout, we could be in a position to go, you know, one loss in conference play and be in the thick of things because I think this roster is really filling out. Um, And so that makes me optimistic because if we can win, I mean, really, you know, it's like who puts us in the best position to win a conference title? I don't mm-hmm. think it's playoffs next year with how shaky this quarterback situation is. I don't think that's really going to be the goal. And with the Ohio State game early in Columbus, I don't think that can really be your goal. Um, if it happens, obviously that's great. But who puts us in the best position to win a conference title? I kind of am leaning towards Brown right now. I'm I'm just more ex- I feel more excited when Anthony Brown comes in the game. Yeah, that's, like, super subjective. There's no data behind that or whatever.
0: Well, I mean, here's the data. Shuck had a pretty meh, like, first, you know, however many, what was that, five games, and then Brown comes in and just instantly plays well in short-yarded situations. So, of course, we like seeing him. Um, but, I mean, I think it's worth noting that you can make the playoff Without and in fact, win the playoff as we saw for the first ever playoff winner without having like your best quarterback. Um, the problem is, you need the rest of your team to be insanely good to do that, and this team is not ready for that yet. Um, I think. It, yeah. I think it's safe to say.
1: Yeah, I don't, and and I'm not even sure if the, if the sport has changed enough to the point where that might not be the case anymore because with how, I mean, if you are, it, maybe these last two years with the Bama and LSU offenses are a bit of an anomaly and, and we won't see that again next year. But, I mean, if if you're playing 2019 LSU or 2020 Bama, you better be able to put up points and your quarterback better be able to execute consistently. Otherwise, you're going to get run out of the building. I mean, like Ohio State even just because their offense wasn't elite, 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 they couldn't keep up. You yeah. know, even though they're loaded with talent, they're far more loaded than we are. And you know Justin Fields is definitely a better quarterback than either Anthony Brown or Tyler Shuck is gonna be. Um, so I think that kind of sets, sets a pretty high bar for what you might have to do. But maybe maybe the other side is that those two years are outliers. Because before twenty nineteen LSU and twenty twenty Bama happened, that wasn't you know the formula completely. Um, so maybe there won't be a team quite like that in the next few years. Or maybe you know what Oregon fans are hoping is that this twenty twenty one class for Oregon on offense builds grows into an offense like that because it's so well rounded.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean it's. I think it's also worth noting that with all like. We're used to planning so far and ahead um, with recruiting and, uh, I mean, like building classes over the years into this monumental thing. Oregon isn't necessarily a program that focuses on grad transfers, but, I mean, shoot, Brown was one of them. I mean, it's, it's definitely not unheard of um, or out of the realm of possibility for us to get another one in future years. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like that's – I'm not saying that's going to happen this year. I think we already have quite enough guys. And I think one can – I truly believe somebody will step up and make me very confident that they are the starting guy um, from what we see yeah. in in
1: uh, camp and stuff. But Even a guy like Jay Butterfield like could consistently exactly. win the yeah. job. Having been, been here a year and he was like a high-level recruit, I think a lot of people – you know, sleep on him a little bit, I think he could win the job.
0: Yeah, I mean, who knows, like, you just, all you need is one, like, movie-type moment where the character just has an epiphany and all of a sudden turns it on on the field and just absolutely balls out. So, I I mean... I would say
1: the the other factor, too, with the Shuck situation is just, like, his eligibility, the timetable that we want to be on in order to work in uh Butterfield or Thompson um quarterback competition it just l- looks a lot better if Anthony Brown plays next year and then it's pretty clean that we kind of have a quarterback competition between Thompson and Butterfield and maybe Shuck is still around versus if Shuck plays and then he's the incumbent next year and then I think he can even stay a year after that if he wants to that starts to become like there has to be a a reckoning where one off season we, you know, cut off uh, Tyler Shuck as the incumbent and let some new blood get in there because otherwise those guys are probably going to transfer out.
0: And I mean, this is the problem with quarterback is that we can't have these discussions about any other position because you can always rotate any other position. You can't like. It's very difficult to rotate quarterbacks during a game. Right. I mean, it's borderline impossible. Like, if you're do if you're running a two quarterback system, like, you need at least one person pretty much dedicating all their time to, to, you know, helping with that. Um, I I don't think a two quarterback system is good for anyone this upcoming season. Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, but again, I really think it depends how, how that benchmark game against Ohio State plays out. Because if this team goes on to uh, somehow win that game or at least keep it close, like you say, and surprise some people, um, then I think the coaches are just going to be forced to stick with their guns for whatever worked that game. Maybe it was a two-quarterback system. Maybe it was Shuck. Maybe it was Brown. Maybe it was Thompson. Maybe it was somebody else. Um,
2: no, that's
1: a good point because, I mean, a lot of things can happen in that game depending how, you know, the balls bounce. It's not like our roster is, I mean, you know, Ohio State's better. They deserve to be favored in that game, all that. But it's not like our roster, we're, you know, we're not a group of five team. We're a legit, you know, yeah. top of the line power five team, a top 15 talent talent level roster. So, you know, if the ball bounces the right way, we can win that game now we also could lose by 20 or 30 yeah so depending on what happens like you said that that definitely will have a big effect on what the quarterback competition looks like towards the end of that year you know if we get blown out maybe you do say like okay ty thompson like let's just get you some experience
0: yeah and Here's the thing: As fans, we are going to value what happens in the Fresno State game more than the entire off season. That's just how I mean. That's just how it works. We're not in the building every day. We're not on the practice field every yeah. day like the coaches. Right. The coaches are going to take into account everything they've ever known about these guys to make their decisions. I would hope. I mean, I trust them to make the right decisions. Right. Um, so again, it's it's hard for me to have a stake in those kind of things. But admittedly, I was very happy to see Anthony Brown hit the field in the Pac-12 title game. Um, So, I mean, we're all just guessing, man. (laughs) The coaches are too. Like, we're all just guessing. Um, So thank you for listening to us guess. Uh, Do you have anything else to say about the QB competition, or should we move on to D.C. stuff?
1: Um, We should also uh, touch on... uh, wide receiver oh rotation. yes thank you someone asked yeah, we had about a question that.
0: about that um again it's a similar thing like we have the old sort of established guys who aren't necessarily like like Johnny Johnson is good but are you gonna give him so many minutes over the guys coming in like you want Troy Franklin on the field as soon as you can get him there in your head same thing with Ty Thompson but right. on on the depth chart, like, we still have Devin Williams. We still have guys like Pittman and Delgado. Chris Hudson had some catches last year. Obviously, we'd mentioned Jalen Red is back again. Um, not an outside guy, but still, like, takes up a wide receiver spot. So who do you think starts on the field next year?
1: I think um, going into it, I mean, I think, Devin Williams is a guy we have to keep riding because he had more talent than anyone on the roster last year at the receiver position. Um, now that we have Troy Franklin and Dante Thornton, that might not be the case anymore, but he's also older, more developed. So Devin Williams is definitely a guy who I think we'll see a lot of. Um, Jalen Red now. Uh, I mean, I think you just have to ride with him starting again in the slot probably because, um, you know, he's just that level of uh, he's, yeah. experience, talent, shirt thing. He's you know, never
0: really, really shown us anything to, I mean, yeah, he's small, but like he's a slot receiver. Like he's never really shown us anything on the field to be like, okay, we can't have this guy on, on out here. Like yeah, we need somebody else to step up, you know. Um, yeah. um i would say the same thing about micah Pittman.
1: yeah i think Pittman, pitman is um definitely a, you know a good player who's had kind of a weird two years where he, we kind of have talked about this before on the pod so there's you know so much love for him and the fan base so much hype around him but we haven't had a micah Pittman game ever really yeah yeah um even though it seems like, you know, he's catching whatever is thrown his way. His routes are crisp. He's a hard worker. He doesn't really have top-end speed. You know, obviously, he's not the biggest receiver. Um, but I think, I mean, he definitely earns a lot of reps. He, you know, he's going to be in that top-four group that of, ro- of rotating guys. Um, but I don't, uh, you know, does he have... Uh, I think I mean, honestly, I think Jalen Redd might be the only guy who has a locked-in spot for me right now hmm. because he specializes in the slot. I don't know who's really challenging him for that spot as a starter. Pittman can do it. Pittman plays outside a little bit, too. Devin Williams, like I said, is a guy I want to work in, a guy that we need to rely on, but he's had his consistency issues, so if he doesn't have a good offseason— Maybe he's not a locked in starter, especially if some of these freshmen come on really hard. So I think, uh, but I think, you know, that top group is Williams, Red, Pittman. And then I think Troy Franklin and Dante Thornton are the two freshmen who we need to give every opportunity to come in and play a lot because that experience will be invaluable. I mean, Troy Franklin. Uh, you know, I mean, people say he looks like Devonta Smith. Is he, you know, like is he that level? Is he going to win a Heisman? Probably not, obviously. But if there's any chance that he can be eighty percent of what Devonte Smith is for the, <laughs> I for mean, Bama, then you eighty percent of
0: Devonte that. Smith is the best receiver in school history at pretty much anywhere else,
1: <laughs> right? so i mean like that and and you know he's a borderline five-star like that's not you know he has to pop he has to come in and and go to that next level that someone like penne or devonta did but those things happen and if troy franklin has any chance of being that guy that receiver is so valuable to the program that we need to make sure we're doing giving him every opportunity to do that and Then Dante Thornton, I think, is really talented, too. Um, Who, you know, he plays a little, he's a little taller. He says his favorite receivers, like Julio Jones. (laughs) I mean, like, you know, and he's another, like, top 50 guy. So both those guys, as receivers, I think you have to try to develop. Grever, I think, I see as someone who's probably going to sit a year or two Mm more so. Um, And then I think... Chris Hudson's a great name that you mentioned who played well, who was impressive in his first year Delgado, I think is probably on the track to just be a, a rotation guy. Um, you know, capable does the right things, but I don't know if he's going to find his starting role next season or maybe really ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same goes for most of the rest of that, that group. Um, I mean, I think I remember last season talking with you about, like, Waters and Will Hoyt. Will they find their chance to step in? (laughs) I think Waters has moved to safety. I don't know if that's permanent or not. And Will Hoyt, we still haven't heard anything from, really. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you. I mean, you basically have to put, you know... You have to give Franklin and Thornton reps before either of those guys... So, on, of
0: course, all this is on paper, too. I mean, we don't, we don't know what's going to happen inside the program, but that's the right. overwhelming consensus at this point.
1: Yeah, so I think that's, that's kind of how it's looking for me in terms of the five or six top guys. Um, I hope that's a good enough outline. I don't know. Do you have anything else to add on that?
0: Not really, except something I mentioned earlier that I want to repeat, and that's like, I mean, with quarterback, you don't get to rotate guys. You have to have your guy. That's not the yeah. case for wide receiver or any right. other position. Like you can, this is, like I'm not worried about this position group whatsoever. In fact, it might be the position group I have the most confidence in right now on this roster. Um, right. Maybe like, yeah, I'll, I'll stick with that for now. I was going to say maybe D line or in, inside linebacker, but I'll I'll save that discussion for another time um real quick since it's very similar um I want to do a very short like overview of running backs because we the only guy we have coming in this season is 7 McGee if I'm not mistaken I mean I'm I'm sure there's some other guys who could go there if they needed to uh but it's it's got to be Sean Dollars coming forward going forward like I don't think any of Die CJ or Cyrus have uh, have opted out or anything maybe you've heard have you heard anything yeah, about that?
1: Yeah, no, it sounds like they're all coming back right now. Yeah.
0: Um, so, I mean, it's
1: not solid, but uh, Dell is especially the one who's a little more up in the air. I'm pretty sure the other two are back.
0: Honestly, like, at this point, I, I just want to see something else. Like, yeah. I-, I love all three of those guys. They did so well for us two years ago, and they were a huge part of why we won the Rose Bowl. But, like, you got to get Sean Dollars the ball, man. You've got to get him more touches. You can't keep – like, why, why are we feeding the ball to, like, Travis Dye and Cyrus when we could be giving those touches to Sean Dollars? Like, still. Yeah. I'm still going to harp about this because it's still – a pro- like, from what we've seen of Dollars, which admittedly is very little – is freaking awesome. Like I want him with as many touches as possible. Yeah. So I I don't know. I yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it just I fingers me. That's all.
1: No, totally. Yeah. I I I think I mean, I'm the same boat. Like I want to see more dollars for sure. Um I I mean, especially like Cyrus getting screen passes. Yeah. Ever. It's yeah. just like Cyrus this year needs to be just a he should just be a great position group leader and we can give him the ball within when we need two yards or less. And that's it. That's to be brutally honest. That's basically the only time I want to see him on the field. Yeah. Like because uh, Sean, we just, we should develop Sean dollars. Trey Benson could start to work in touches for him. Who knows how good he is. We haven't seen him at all. And, Seven McGee could be a De'Anthony Thomas-like playmaker. Yeah, and so I want to see him get at least a few chances to, you know, break a big play. Cause, I mean, the brutal thing is like, Cyrus and Travis Dye are not doing that. They are not yeah. going to take a run, like from from a, a like inside zone, eighty yards to the house. It's not happening. And Sean Sean dollars and seven McGee could I think
0: yeah and I mean um, the other thing is like we don't have a big like uh, again seven McGee is the only running back coming in this year um, well that's that is might is change though
1: really because uh, yeah the the word is that we're gonna we're the favorites to get uh, Byron Cardwell in a couple Ooh. days here interesting who's um who would be a good addition and who i know some fans feel i think it's definitely a point of debate whether or not we want to bring in another running back Uh, but that's what it sounds like the staff has decided that we do so he's a top 200 player six foot 200 pounds out of san diego um and uh that will be that would be an interesting addition. I think maybe he's someone especially if those guys return and we have dollars and Benson ahead of him I don't know if Cardwell figures into the rotation much in his first year next season mm-hmm. um, but that's gonna be that would be a big addition down the line in terms of like what does this 2021 offensive class look like in two or three years when it's filled out and Cardwell could be a big big contributor at that point. I, that'd be great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Got no problems with that. Um, okay, enough about the running backs. We've kind of flushed that out. Um, we have a few more questions, mainly just about the D.C. Uh, position. So let's get to those. Um, Ducks Football Opinions wants to know our preference between DeReuter and Tosh. Um Overall, I'd like to just lay out, like, a kind of master list of names um, for people like me who get totally confused and drowning in all these different names um, and the things that come with them. So, sort of the guy who's been mentioned more than any other by far is Tosh Lapoy, um, who right now is, like, an assistant with the Falcons um, and has... Worked at Alabama under Saban. Uh, good recruiter. Great recruiter, in fact. But um, some people doubt his ability to for like, do everything a DC needs to do. Right. Um, including play calling. We had a question about his play calling got stripped from Saban at one point. Um, which was a long time ago before he was with the Falcons. Um, DeReuter is tim de Reuter is another name we've been hearing a lot he he's not a recruit he's a better coach than tosh it seems like like this is the consensus yeah. again but um not as good of a recruiter which is honestly more than half the battle at this point <laughs> when you're at this level um that's why i kind of lean lupoi between those two but what's your take on this
1: yeah I think uh, I lean with Tosh, definitely. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of worry, though, about about that his stint in Alabama when he was promoted to defensive coordinator, mm-hmm. and then he was stripped of that title um, because of kind of some issues working with the secondary and, um, you know, not being a totally up-to-caliber play caller, I guess. Um, that's you know that's just the wrap on him at this point that's what people say from his time in Alabama um, but they also say he was the best recruiter on Nick Saban's staff mm-hmm. so that I mean that means he's probably a top five recruiter in the country
2: yeah
0: yeah
1: that- no seriously yeah that combined with Cristobal who is literally as good of a head coach recruiter as anyone in the country means we put ourselves in a position to land a you know start landing top five classes with some regularity that is I mean that's how college football is one right yeah. now um in terms of the coaching concerns I get it I'm I'm not trying to dismiss those concerns but he's worked with a lot of good uh minds he's worked with you know pruitt and kirby smart and nick saban he was hired in the nfl where he couldn't rely on his recruiting skills to you know save his job he did just have to coach there um so i mean and and i think he's you know wants to improve he and all that. So Mm -hmm. maybe in the past five years, things have gotten better. Uh, But, you know, I, I understand the worry, but at the same time, if we get Tosh, the amount of talent that comes in is huge. And, I mean, that's the thing that QB11 said that I totally agree with is, what is the floor on this hire? The worst case scenario is we have two down years and our roster is absolutely stacked afterwards. And yeah. the two down years are probably not that far down, really. But, you know, we just, uh, you know, are in contention for the conference or something. But we don't hit this, the next throttle and make a playoff for the next two years. And I mean, you know, like, I don't think he, we're going to go, you know, seven and five with him or something. You know, I also
0: like, feel like with defense, when you talk about coaching and play calling, like the, I mean, maybe maybe this is just totally off, so don't you know take this as canon. But I mean, I feel like you you really do have less control over what happens on the field at the end of the day because um, you don't have the ball, yeah, and you have to you're relying on your players to react, and you basically have to prepare them as much as possible. Um, and I feel like it is harder to correct do things like correct mistakes but um, I, I just don't really know how much like how negatively that really could affect the team overall like I'm, I'm not overly I'm not concerned about that as much as others are
2: um, yeah I
1: think that there's a lot of infrastructure in place too that you know with Avalos and the, the Avalos having left the coaches there I think, I trust Ken Wilson. Um, I mean, he's also a guy up for this potential position. But yeah, Hayward. He's a really good coach who I think will have some influence. Um, I think our D line showed great like progression. I mean, it's just like you said. I mean, if you think about the actual players, like I think our D line looks good, um, and will still look good next year. I, it doesn't really matter to me who's calling the plays, like Kayvon's going to be able to, you know, have <laughs> a lot of impact. Mm-hmm. Um, the linebackers, I think, are going to be improved. I mean, and Tosh literally could help a lot with with that, as we'll get into. Um, for me, part of it also, like, you know, in this D.C. conversation, a name we have to mention is Keith Hayward, mm-hmm. who a lot of people, when Abilich was getting hired, assumed Keith Hayward was the one in line to get that job. And he didn't. And since then, the safeties, which he coaches, have honestly been a weak point on the Oregon team. Yeah, um, And the recruiting there hasn't been that great either.
0: Granted, so, I mean, we did lose Holland this season. And, right. I mean, we had to shuffle some things, and Breeze, so we had to shuffle some things around. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it hasn't been... I mean, I feel like some, it's not just, for some fans, it's not just that we got the Avalos hire right. I mean, if you try to hypothetically think about where we would be with Keith Hayward, it's, I mean, kind of an irrelevant question. But at the same time, I don't think we're getting as good as that defense was two years ago um, in Avalos' first season. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I think, I don't think of Avalos as like that great of a recruiter. And obviously we still recruited pretty well this year. If Tosh is like going from Avalos to Tosh in terms of like from in the recruit point, I mean, I don't even know what that jump is going to look like, but it could be seriously insane. Mm -hmm. And and that upside is is a really big deal. Um, and I think also part of me, you know, like I said, in two years it doesn't work out. We stack our roster. There's a chance that, you know, Wilson and DeRuiter are still there. Um, I mean, a guy like DeRuiter, if he's the higher this time around, that's okay. I think uh, he has a lot of respect on the West Coast. Um He's a good football mind. I think we'll have a good defense. I think we'll have a better defense than we had this year. I think we'll still recruit fine. You know, he'll probably be as good of a recruiter as Avalos was. Um, And with Cristobal as head coach and, you know, some pretty good position coaches, I think we'll be able to get the job done on the recruiting trail and we'll put out a pretty good defense. Mm -hmm. But if Tosh comes here and we could get. That could help us get a JTT or a Henry from, uh Henry Toto from good try from Tennessee. It's good effort. Yeah, yeah. good effort. Who for me. was ba- um, one of the
0: best linebackers in like the I country? Mean, yeah, I was gonna say the SEC, and I was <laughs> trying to think of how broad to make it, but yeah, I mean he was their yeah. leading tackler last year. Um, so
1: you add you, I mean that's. Like you said, you know, like, I mean, play calling is important. Yes. But if you you're going to sit here and tell me that a defense with Flo Sewell, To'o To'o, Kayvon, Brandon Dorless, you know, whoever else is going to be bad. Keith Brown. Keith Brown. Yeah, the list goes on and on. Mikhail Wright, Dante Manning, Jamal Hill, all these guys. That it's gonna I think it'll be a good defense especially if we get you know good infrastructure in him from the position coaching perspective which I think we mostly have I, I like Rod chance a lot at corners. I think that what I was getting at was you know maybe Keith Hayward moves on because it seems like he wanted the DC spot and that's mm-hmm. just kind of the buzz reading the tea leaves is that his performance has declined a little bit since he got passed over for that whatever, you know, that's fine. That's understandable. Um, but with how much Chris Paul's nailed hires in the past, like let's get someone in here. Who's really enthusiastic about the opportunity to coach safeties and a really bright young mind, you know, um, and, and offer them a spot at Oregon, which is a highly coveted position as we keep churning, you know, um, turning position coaches and coordinators into better opportunities going forward um i have no doubt that we'd make a great hire if we replace the safeties coach and so once you build up those position coaches and all that infrastructure i just start to feel like the floor on a tosh defense is raised that much more and the upside based on recruiting is so high and if there's any potential that in the last five years he's turned into uh, you know learned how to call a defense well then the higher is an absolute home run
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um but yeah but i understand the other i mean Deruder looks like what we have what we are on track for with avalos probably in my mind Hmm. and another addition to it is that if Deruder steps in we probably have a little more continuity at the position going forward Uh, he's a little older. He probably would be here for five plus years. So that's a nice thing. Um, We wouldn't have to go through this again in two years. Ken Wilson, the risk of not hiring him is, you know, what happened with Keith Hayward. Does he get unsatisfied? Does he want to move on to another job? Um, That, you know, that could be bad. Uh, But also, what do we get from you know, what's the upgrade with putting Ken Wilson in a defensive coordinator? There, yeah. doesn't see, there doesn't seem like that could take us to another level as a program in the way that hiring Tosh could take us to, an, to a whole new level. And that's really exciting, especially when I think we have a year or two here to play around a little bit before this 2021 class is upperclassmen and we're really in win now mode. Um. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so I, so I lean Tosh to summarize that. Um, but I, but I trust Mari to do his due diligence, and I'll be, you know, supportive and excited about who the hire is. Um, those three names, like we said, Tosh, Darude, Wilson, those seem like the three that are kind of edging ahead. We should know in the next few days, maybe or next week. Um, but there are a few other names involved. Yeah, let's no, let's throw some
0: couldn't. other names out there. Chris Ash is another big one that we've heard a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Who used to be the Texas DC, now he's a position coach with the Jaguars. Um, so I mean, his you know natural—he was also the head coach at Rutgers, Rutgers for a little bit. But his sort of natural progression would be to, a DC spot. So we're good at this point. Um, Clint Hurt. Uh, these are these names are from Bruce Feldman. Um, Clint Hurt, former Seahawks assistant or current Seahawks assistant, um, Derek Ansley, Tennessee, D.C., um, Zach Arnett, Mississippi State, D.C., uh, Glenn Schumann, Georgia, Co. D.C., uh, or Nate Woody, current Army, D.C. So just some names to keep in mind. Maybe Google those guys, get a little more info. But I, I agree with you. I From what I've seen and heard, which is admittedly probably a lot less than you, Um, Tosh seems like the logical choice here. Um, but again, I trust Cristobal to do what's right more than anything. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to like be sad if I get an announcement saying that somebody else is the DC, like, unless it's maybe someone from within and then it basically says, okay, we didn't get the guy we wanted externally, but whatever, you know? Yeah. I, again, I, we still have Cristobal and that's more important than anything because he, definitely. Yes, as definitely. long as he's pulling the strings, I'm genuinely okay with whatever happens um, off, off the field. <laughs> <laughs> um, sweet. Anything else you want to say about the DC position?
1: No, I think uh, last thing we should just touch on is a little recruiting.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, it's... <laughs> I keep waiting for an episode where we don't need to talk about recruiting, but this doesn't exist. Like it's, it's, <laughs> it's full <full-length>.
1: in. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the state of the class right now, just to catch those up who are, you know, not following it super closely is we signed all 21 of our guys um, during the early signing period in mid-December. Um, so we have a maximum of four spots left Uh, and that's basically what we're sitting here and navigating. Uh, there hasn't really been a ton of news, uh, in the month since we signed those guys, but now it seems like that could be heating up, especially when we're on the brink of hiring this defensive coordinator and the February signing period is going to open up in a couple weeks. Um, and we have a few, um, commitments lined up for, uh, the near future so really the um the big you know upcoming news is that uh we are expected to get a commitment as we mentioned earlier from byron Cardwall cardwell um he's a running back adds kind of more of a true running back to this class because seven mcgee is you know a running back in label but really just a playmaker who can play in the slot can line up in the backfield uh, but he's probably not going to be taking, you know, 20 or 30 touches a game. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're supposed to get a commitment from him on the 25th or, you know, we're the favorites right now to get get a commitment. I think um, Cal and Texas A&M maybe, and maybe UCLA are the other players in that recruitment. Mm -hmm. Um, And then on the 27th, we're expected to get a commitment from a 2022 prospect who doesn't, not included in that. Only four spots left. Grayson Holton, uh, defensive end. Um, crystal balls have rolled in for him to come to Oregon. Top 200 player. Uh, good addition. West Coast. Um, excited for that. Uh, honestly haven't like dug into his film terribly much, so don't have a ton to offer in that regard. But um, that's exciting. Good pickup. Um, but yeah. So back to the 2021 class, um, if we do end up adding Cardwell, then we have three spots left basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the question is, what do we do with those three precious spots left for people that we can bring in? Um, and it's a maximum of, of three spots. We don't know if we can even fill all of those cause they would require some people to transfer out of the program. So obviously, the names that we know as people who we think oregon could get um might be favorites for if they really push for them are perkins judarius perkins and jordan Moko. but the question is becoming are those people that we can take right now mm-hmm. perkins has been on the verge of commi- committing the staff has been willing to take his commitment for a while And now it seems like maybe that isn't the case because he's gone cold feet consistently about moving across the country. That's kind of a hit because we need someone in the secondary. But Perkins also isn't a top, top, top elite tier guy necessarily. So with how few spots we have left, we wonder, do we take that because it's a position of need? Or do we just go with best available because there are better guys potentially on our board? Moco is a guy Chris Ball loves as a um, Juco O lineman with a body that he thinks he could transform into a starter and major contributor down the line. It would be a great guy to have but for me it doesn't seem necessary because we have four really good offensive linemen already um, and there's really other interesting possibilities with those three spots. So like we said uh Too is a big name that transferred from Tennessee. And if we hire Tosh, Tosh had a really close relationship with Too uh during his recruitment when Tosh was back at Alabama. Mm-hmm. So that would be a huge get. Um, and it sounds like if we hire Tosh, we become the instant favorites to get Henry Too Um and, like we said, I mean, this was a borderline five star coming out of high school, the, a top uh, 50 plus. So, that's an absolutely huge get. That makes our linebacking core look even more elite. insane. Yeah, elite and deep for years to come. And, you know, we won't be, no offense to, you know, Nick Wiebe, who played great in the Fiesta Bowl, but. We won't be playing walk-ons and New Year Six Bowls anymore,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, which is a, a good thing in the long run. Um, and then uh, two other big names, five stars, JT, Malau, leading Ohio State, Alabama's in there. Oregon is on the verge. And again, the question is, if we bring in Tosh's defensive coordinator, can we make up ground late? Can we do this? Mm-hmm. Maybe. So that's why Tosh is big. Same thing goes for Ray John Davis, who was committed to LSU. Then he was leading to USC. Now the buzz is USC leads, but Oregon is a dark horse that is closing ground quickly. Um, and so that would be, I mean, that's a five star linebacker. Mm-hmm. Again, I mean, it's just a must take caliber of player. Uh, and the the idea is Tosh Lupoi, like from everything that anyone says about him, it is like, do not underestimate this guy's ability to recruit. Whatever you think it is, it's better than that. Mm-hmm. If that's really true, if if he's the type of guy where we get Toho Toho, JTT, and Rajon Davis because he comes in, then hire him like yeah that that's that is it's so incredibly valuable um so that's those are kind of the state of of the how we're filling out those last four spots and of course we could always leave one of those spots open for a transfer or um or just leave it open so someone else doesn't transfer out of the program yeah Um, yeah
0: Wow. (laughs) You always bring the heat. Um, Real quick, I want to touch on uh, some 2022 names, um, because obviously we're very early in the cycle, but uh, I just kind of want to set the stage for people who maybe haven't been digging around as much as we have. Um, Two guys who are already committed from 2022 are uh, Amarian Winston, who I had the pleasure of watching his brothers play in high school, um, and Andre Dollar. What do you know about these guys?
1: Um, well, I think that, you know, they're two solid pieces. They definitely continue the um, feeling like, you know, Andre Dollar, that's another good tight end that we're bringing in. Um, and, you know, it's a nice piece to have after we added
2: um, two really good yeah. tight
1: ends in, yeah, in, the, in this last class. And then, uh, you know, a Marion is, is just one of those in-state prospects that you don't want to, you know, let you get out of your footprint. Uh, you want to prioritize. <laughs> like his brothers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I think they're, you know, they're two guys who are a little bit lower four stars, but um, anyone who's a four star has, a, you know, a great chance to come in and be a major contributor if they hit in the right way. Um But this 2022 class is is definitely, you know, early on and something that's going to ramp up Um, in the near future once we, you know, uh, finish off these last few spots in 2021. I think that this is going to be a busy spring. Hopefully we can have another spring game because that's a big event where we always bring people on campus. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I, I think, you know, that's... That's another big question is about, you know, the state of Oregon football right now is have we reached a peak in our recruiting level? Um, because this 2021 class, I think a lot of fans have a lot of attachment to and believe that they can be a championship caliber class. And every year under crystal Ball, it seems like we've gotten better and better slowly in the recruiting game. The question is like, when do we, uh, you know, top out in our ability to recruit at least our ability to recruit without having won a national championship Mm -hmm. because obviously you know there's some barriers to being in oregon not having a ton of local talent in our immediate footprint and all that um so i think you know this this 2022 class is going to be a big one to say can we match the output that we had in 2021 Mm mm-hmm Can we have another, can we push for a top five class or do we kind of take a step back to that eight to 12 range that, you know, we, we had hit before with Cristobal. And that's something that's exciting to me about the talk hire is that I really feel like he changes the game in that respect and turns us into, you know, okay, rather than settling in at the eight to 12 range consistently we're going to start settling in at the 7 to 3 or 4 range.
0: Yeah, which, I mean, that's, that's a realistic expectation at this point. Yeah. I mean, gone are the days where we don't even look at recruiting boards and stuff and we just, you know, wait until we run over people on the field. Like, we're at the level now where we basically have to like, you have to sustain this this recruiting output for, like, half a decade. And then you might have a shot at beating the big guys. Right. Um, like, a, a legitimate shot and not, like, a fluky game. Um, and by the big guys, I'm talking about the big three. Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson. So, right. and, I mean, half Georgia. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you, it's... It's really hard for me to explain to people, like, explain to casuals, especially, like, why recruiting is so important. Um, again, because we've had success without being an elite recruiter. Right. But this, like, it seems so unfathomable to me that we are, we are talking about the differences between top ten spots in recruiting rankings. Like, that is unheard yeah. of. For this program, still, um, right? Like, yes, we had the pick. Yes, we have all this history that since then. But this is still like a, a big step for us. Like having Mario Cristobal is a step, like a crazy positive step for us. Um,
1: and it's really, I mean, that, I think that that's the thing too. Is it's it's more long lasting than people realize. Because, like, establishing this brand and having Crystal there, it also, like, sets the expectation. Because, you know, it wasn't that long ago, like, Scott Frost famously said, you can't recruit to Eugene. Yeah. Like, well, that's now not the case. Like, now everyone knows you can recruit to Eugene. Yeah. Like, now people used to think, like, this program can never turn into all that because there's just a cap on how good of – Like that you can't bring in top 10 classes consistently here. They thought you just couldn't do it. And you can. That's like a, and that's a huge mark of what a successful program is going to be. Because like you said, you know, you have to, you have to sustain that recruiting level in the top 10 for half a decade. And then you assemble a roster that has a chance to compete with the Alabamas and Clemsons and Ohio States.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know you 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 get that level, and hopefully at that time you turn into a Clemson or an Oklahoma in your conference, and you have a you know you're the odds-on favorite by a wide margin to win and go to the playoff every year, and then you make it to the playoff and you enjoy those elite elite competitions, and you hope that one of those years things break your way and you win.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I mean that again, that's. Like you said, that's the next step for us. Um, and you can't say that about other programs. For instance, Georgia. Georgia has been doing what we've done on the recruiting trail for, you know, multiple years now. Like, they've built up a roster that can
2: compete they, they had with...
1: the most talented roster in the country yeah, this year.
0: Yeah, exactly. On, so, it's like, but we are honestly at a bit of an advantage as weird as it sounds being in the Pac-Twelve. Again, because we can be in Oklahoma or Clemson that absolutely just runs that conference. Um like for Clemson, it's easier for them to do what they do every year than it is for Alabama. Marginally so, and I mean it's very hard to run the table in any league. But I mean you look at the schedules. Like obviously you wanna be somewhere where you don't have to reprove to people like Clemson's at the point right now where they don't have to reprove to people that they belong in the conversation. Like people assume them in the, they're in the conversation already. They place them next to the Ohio state and the Alabama, like Ohio state, same thing. Like we don't need to, well, I mean this year, some people argued this, but we don't, we usually don't need to argue that Ohio state should be in that conversation anymore. Like they've earned that right by dominating their conference for so long. So as long as we can do that, I, I don't have a problem with anything. Now, a discussion that we should have in the next episode is about the landscape of college football in general overall and how four teams might turn into eight teams, maybe six teams. Um, but that, that's a discussion for another time. Um, yeah, for sure. Do you have anything else you want to hit on the recruiting trail?
1: No, I think we pretty much covered it.
0: Um, I would like to end then with a quote uh, (laughs) from Oregon President Michael Schill. I don't don't know if you guys saw this or not yesterday, but um, some dude from Seattle was interviewing people about uh, Larry Scott's successor, and um, he he asked the question of what needs to happen for – Pac-12 football to win a national title and she'll goes quote well I'm anticipating we're going to win it next year anyways so give us a full season we're ready (laughs) and I mean yeah it's a funny little quote and it probably made everyone else laugh too but like it's good that he seems to have an air of like understanding about him he seems to know kind of what's going on um, and he seems to have the right attitude so that, that's just a nice little anecdote I found today
2: um,
1: I like
0: it yeah I, yeah, I would like to say, like Shill gets a lot of crap um, from students especially just because tuition keeps getting raised and like the pandemic and stuff but honestly he does a pretty good job so <laughs> that's all I have to say about that um, anything else you guys want to mention
1: before we're done no I think we're good
0: Got pretty good coverage there, yeah. <sighs> <laughs> How are you, Gales, doing, Paul? Oh, they're covering. Nice, nice. Um. <laughs> all right, boys. So, do I hear playoff talk next? Uh, next episode. Playout I've heard similar talk? things. Yep. We can yep. get
1: into it. We can get into expansion Let's talk this episode. Or
0: uh, unexpansion, as Reed would like to have. Yeah. Um. Whatever. Back to, back to two. <laughs> All right. <Thanks laughs> Just vote. Listening. Just vote. We don't need the playoff. Just vote. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Go bring Ducks.
2: back BCS. <laughs> Go Ducks. Go Ducks.